It is March 5th, 2014 in Ljubljana, Slovenia. And we're going to be doing a little meditation on fellowship with devotees. Okay, so Vakunabhu asked me to speak a little bit about fellowship with devotees. Sorry. Because that's, in one sense, I suppose that's really what we're doing here, isn't it? This is all about connecting with each other and connecting with each other's projects, making networks so that we help each other. One of the one of the jewels of ISKCON is is all the is all the wonderful devotees. Well, not really. I don't really need it. You know, just forget it. One of the one of the jewels of ISKCON is like all the wonderful devotees that are doing amazing things all over the world. And it's, you want to give me that one? It doesn't really matter. It's a small group. Oh, but you can take this one. This one is Where's good. The one this is my problem. You try it? But does it work? Does it do anything? Is it doing anything? I mean, it doesn't sound very different to me. Okay, there we go. There's something. All right. There, now we're in business. So it's really amazing to me, because I travel over a large portion of the ISKCON world all the time, is that devotees all over the place are doing amazing things, and generally nobody knows what anybody else is doing. <laughs> they don't have a clue. And not only do they not have a clue, but they reinvent the wheel all the time. I, just recently somebody emailed me and said, you know, I'm trying to scan in all of the uh, educational materials for children that have gone out of print. And, you know, do you have anything? And I said, yeah, here's the, <laughs> here's the web page, you know, with 40 different books all scanned in and all checked, you know, really nicely laid out for free download. He said, oh, my God, I just rescanned in all this stuff. I didn't even know it was here. So, you know, we, we do that kind of thing. We, we unnecessarily duplicate or, I mean, it's, it's so extreme that I've seen that there'll be one temple where there's two people who are heading up similar projects in different parts of the world and, you know, they're, and they never talk to each other in the same community. It, it, it's really wild. It's really, really wild. I mean, many years ago when I was in Mumbai, I arranged the first meeting between the Jew school and Gopal's Garden. And, you know, Gopal's Garden then had been there for three years, and the head of Gopal's Garden at the time was a good friend of the head of the Jew school, but they never met professionally and discussed what was going on in the school, even though they're like, you know, half an hour, 45 minute drive from each other. So, on the practical level, if we want to move our movement, if we want our movement to move, <laughs> it might be a good idea to have these sort of networking meetings sometimes. I mean, I see this, this is very informal. But whether it's done formally or informally, it really helps to find out what other people are doing and see how we can work together to help each other achieve our goals. Of course, we could look at Fellowship of Devotees on a deeper esoteric level rather than just practical management. Hmm? And Srila Prabhupada says what I think is pretty surprising things. 
in Nectar of Instruction, text 4. He says, the International Society for Krishna Consciousness has been established to facilitate the six kinds of loving exchanges between devotees. I always found that statement to be amazing. But that's, that's why Prabhupada established ISKCON, to facilitate us exchanging love with each other. Are you translating into Dutch? Um, I must be going way too fast for you. Are you doing all right? Okay. Is there anyone else here who's translating? Huh? Okay. Your husband's not here right now. Okay. If, I'm, if you're missing something, just tell me and I'll slow down. All right. Thank you. So that's the purpose for ISKCON, is to have these loving exchanges with each other. You know, we can think, well, the purpose of ISKCON is for us to love Krishna. But the purpose of ISKCON is also for us to love each other. And then Prabhupada also says in that purport, the life of the Krishna Conscious Society is nourished by these six types of loving exchanges among the devotees. So that's the purpose of our movement, and that's what nourishes our movement. All right, so I talked about one benefit, that we get networking, that we get our service is facilitated, you know, our... I, I hate to call it external, but I don't know how else to put it. The, the external aspects of our service are facilitated. We find about, out about someone who's already prepared the seminar we'd like to teach. Or we find out about somebody who's already done a prototype of a program that we'd like to start. Or we find out about someone who knows how to get the money that we need, like what, which, a lot of what we're talking about here. Or we find someone who has political connections or other kinds of connections that we're looking for. So that's a lot of the practical aspects of how we serve Krishna. Then there's also, we could say, sort of internal benefits. So I'm, I don't pretend that I'm listing all of them, but some that I've meditated on is that we have an example from other devotees that gives us a template. It gives us a model so again, this is true on the practical level. If I want to start, you know, an ox training program, I can look at someone else who's already started an ox training program. But it's also true if I want to see, well, how do I be a good mother? How do I be a good husband? How do I be a good disciple? How do I chant with attention? I look at people and I see that there's a model. Now, one of the most important ways in which we really need models at least in my observation around the world, is how to be a, a serious, strict, dedicated devotee, and at the same time, function more or less as a normal person in the world. And I see this as one of the biggest challenges, probably actually the biggest challenge right now, to our Hare Krishna movement. When our movement started in the 60s, we didn't care about functioning anywhere close to a normal person in the world. We were abnormal and we were fine with being abnormal. In fact, we were extremely ab abnormal. We weren't even just slightly abnormal. We weren't even normal by Indian cultural standards. <laughs> huh? We aren't. No, no, I mean it was, in the beginning, you know, we didn't even have dhotis and saris. We just went to the fabric shop and bought a piece of poly cotton saffron. You know, in, in the early days, everybody wore saffron, unless you were married, including the women. 
And you know, it was this heavy fabric, and we'd, we'd pin it on our head with a safety pin. And by the end of the day, it would be up here. <laughs> and then we had these big, big nose rings, that, and that was a time when people didn't have piercings, you know. Big. I had one nose ring that was, no kidding, this big, folks. It really was. And it had to be held by a chain in my ear. Or, or and, you know, it was kind of hard to eat. I'd have to kind of move it to, to eat. And, and we would go out to the airport like that. You know, we really would. We would go to the airport with our saffron heavy, heavy thing, you know, pinned here with the safety pin here and the, the big T-lock and the big nose ring. And then the brahmacharis would have one shade of saffron turban and one shade of saffron kurta. And, you know, we all lived... We all lived in an ashram. We just slept on sleeping bags on the floor. I, I, I continue to think it's ironic that in the Grahasta ashram, we hardly ever had beds. My husband and I, now that I've become a Vanaprastha, I travel the world and I'm always given a bed. <laughs> I'm supposed to be sleeping on the floor of the forest. <laughs> so this is, this is a, a new thing for us. How do we do this? How do we have you know, our own house? Again, when I joined the movement, nobody had furniture. You had furniture. Maybe you had a rocking chair. How do you have furniture and, and, and an entertainment system and a car and a job and you go to university and so on and so forth and you're still a good, serious, dedicated devotee? We really need models for that. I think we're starting to get models for that. I think we're starting to get devotees who show how to do both. But most of us don't know how to do... We know how to do one or the other. You know, where I can be kind of... I can be a normal person in the world where Krishna consciousness is my religion. You know, I have my deities on the shelf that I bathe once a month and, you know, like that. Or we can have, okay, I'm, I'm living in an ashram as a monastic... So one thing with devotee association is we get models. We can see, oh, that's how you do it. Oh, that's how you do it. That's how you do it. This is how you raise children in Krishna consciousness. This is how you go to a university in Krishna consciousness. This is how you have a job in Krishna consciousness. You know, eventually we want to be, this is how you run a country in Krishna consciousness. Yes? This is how you run Krishna conscious businesses. And we, we need to have this devotee association so that people who are successful as models, as you know, models of how to do deep meditative chanting and models of how to do deep meditative chanting and run a business, are there for us. Then, of course, another benefit of devotees association is Krishna is really happy when you make his devotees happy. Just like, if you do something for me, I'll like it, but if you do something for my kids, I'll like it a lot more. You know, if you tell me, oh, really, you're great, it's like, okay, whatever. But if you say, wow, I met your grandson on Indra Jumna Swami's Parkram and Kartik, and he's so cool, and I'm like, wow, I like you. <laughs> so Krishna's also like that. Krishna's like that. And when we associate with devotees, of course, we have to be very careful because there's, there's a strong tendency. Kali Yuga people fight for nothing. They just fight to fight. This is explained in the Shastra, that when people fight in Kali Yuga, they're not really fighting about the issue. Have you noticed that? Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> people aren't fighting about the issue because you never come to a conclusion. 
hypnosis. You know, you present all the evidence and all the logic and you should have a conclusion and then people just keep fighting. I mean, I, I was working with one group of devotees. We were trying to do something for the movement and finally I left the group because we never came to a conclusion after like five years. <laughs> I said, okay, I think there's a better use of my time. So we have to be careful that when we're with devotees, our mood is to serve the devotees and to please the devotees so that Krishna will smile at us that our mood is not to criticize the devotees and find fault with them because everybody's full of fault. At least I'm full of fault. I mean, I, who isn't full? Anybody here have no faults? No? Every once in a while I find someone who says, oh, I have no faults. I don't know what to I meet some people like that. <laughs> but Krishna's really happy when he pleases devotees. Actually, we're, we're all parts and parcels of him. We're all parts and parcels of Krishna. And of course, Krishna is also pleased not only when we please devotees on an individual basis, but when we cooperate. So the sort of thing that we've been doing him the last few days where we're cooperating, Krishna is really, really pleased with that. You know, on, on one level, working with other devotees can be frustrating. I have sometimes found it frustrating to work with others, and I'm sure others have sometimes found it, or oftentimes found it frustrating to work with me. Right? I mean, it can be frustrating. The other people have different styles of thinking and different styles of, of working. And we really are an international society, which means we come from all different cultural backgrounds, and it really does matter. There really are cultural differences. We really do think differently. I mean, I was at Govindas today, and um, with one of the, with one devotee here who's originally from Croatia, so I got a little a muffin. You know, a little muffin is like bread. And I went to eat it, and I couldn't bite it. It was really hard. It was like overcooked. So I put it on the side of the tree. And one of the people from the restaurant walked past. I didn't say anything to her. I just motioned her to come over. And then I took my fist and banged it on the on the muffin, and it didn't break. <laughs> and I just kind of looked at her, and she said, "Okay, we'll take care of it." And then the devotee who was with me, he was from Croatia, she looked at me and she said, you're really American. <laughs> I said, oh, did I just do something really wrong? <laughs> so we really have different cultures. We really have different ways of, of working and different ways that, that's considered normal and that's considered polite. <laughs> And it, it, can be, it can be difficult to cooperate. It really can be quite difficult. But Krishna is so pleased when we cooperate. So there's the story, of course, of the Pracheta brothers who cooperated in their austerity, and Lord Vishnu blessed them just for being cooperative. And uh, such a thing is there, not only in our scriptures, it's there in the Bible, where it says, Then how wonderful it is when all the brothers are working together in peace. So I know as, as a mother... I like to see that my children like each other and that they cooperate with each other. And if your children, if you have children who don't like each other, it's very painful for the parents. I had, there was 10 years that one of my sisters wouldn't talk to me because I became a devotee. She even, you know, she was a, she's not living anywhere. Anyway, she was a fanatic Jew and she, she had a funeral ceremony for me. Seriously. Seriously. And it really caused my mother a lot of pain. She said, I really wish you'd talk to your sister. I said, well, I can't do anything about it. Later, when she was dying of cancer, she agreed to see me, and we, we kind of... 
solve things. But I could see how painful it was for my mother that two of her children weren't friends with each other. So Krishna wants to see that, the, that devotees are cooperating with each other, even though sometimes it's difficult. And also, Devotee Association is training us for the spiritual world. We were talking about this the other night, right? With the relevant and relatable uh, ISKCON. That everything we're doing is part of Mahaprabhu's Leela. And we're really being trained now. It's not just that this life is sort of, you know, okay, I'm just going to bear it until I can go and the planet where Krishna's having his lila. It's not, it's not like that. But if you have the right consciousness, then we're already in Mahaprabhu's lila. So in a similar way, our dealing with devotees is preparation for the spiritual world. You know, in the spiritual world, the tables are also devotees. Right? The chairs are devotees. The glasses are devotees. The waters are devotees. Prabhupada says, I was meditating on this the other day, how Prabhupada says that Krishna is never alone. And that Krishna doesn't like to be alone. He, li- he likes to be surrounded by his devotees. So in the spiritual world, one has to have a loving relationship with so many devotees. Right? Yes? I have one question. Yes, yeah, sure. If you're a chair in the spiritual world, can you shapeshift or will you always be a chair? Can you shapeshift or will you always be a chair? Um... Can, can, can I park that question? Okay. I get asked that question all the time. Can, can I park it? Because it's really kind of tangential to the topic. Is that all right? Because if I, if I answer that question now, then I'll, I'll lose my whole... It's so lovely how I've arranged all this. And I, it's really pretty. So if I can just follow this, this sort of pattern, and then I'll get to that at the end, all right? I don't mind going off, uh, but that's like way out on a branch. <laughs> that's not just a leaf, that's a butterfly on a leaf, so I don't, I don't quite, okay? If I forget, just, you'll remind me. But it's, we're practicing dealing with the devotees and, and working with the devotees. The spiritual world is not a place, like Prabhupada says, there's no sannyasis in the spiritual world. You know, this, what's there to renounce? There's nobody going to renounce. <laughs> So, the spiritual world is also not a place of solitary meditation. It's not a place of going into a cave and, and just, you know, oming. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a place of, of connection and relationships. And we can also get, of course, inspiration from other devotees, particularly in the area of faith. So, you know, when you first come to Krishna consciousness, it seems really easy. I'm just going to chant Hare Krishna and think of Krishna, and I'm going to become a pure devotee in, you know, a few days, maybe a month. And, and that's good. But it, it's not usually like that for most of us. For most of us, we have many, many challenges to our, to our faith, and many challenges to our dependence on Krishna, our surrender. And when we're with other devotees, it really helps us through these times. Because we see, here's somebody who went through a similar faith challenge. And how did they deal with it? Or we see people who are more advanced than we are. And that increases our faith that, yes, it is possible. It is achievable. You know, one of the wonderful, wonderful benefits that I get from being a, a world traveler in ISKCON is that I meet some amazing devotees. And some of them have big titles and positions, and some of them are just washing pots. You know, and some of them are working out in the world as professionals. 
And I meet devotees who realize that they're coward boys or that they're gopis and that they're totally absorbed in Goloka Vrindavan in their life. And they're, they're really achieving the fruit of Krishna consciousness. So we get very inspired in our faith by association with devotees. Then devotees also inspire us to increase our attachment to Krishna. So this is a little technical here. And of course that's true at all levels. It's true for beginning devotees, but even on the advanced level, attachment to devotees is absolutely essential for increasing our attachment to Krishna. So hopefully all of us know that uh, we are practicing Vaidhi Sadhana Bhakti with the aim that at a certain point, generally when we become fixed at Nista, that we start practicing Raghunuga Sadhana Bhakti. So what is Raghunuga Sadhana Bhakti? The essence of Raghunuga Sadhana Bhakti is that within your heart, a spontaneous desire to serve Krishna in a particular way starts to awaken. It's not an intellectual thing, which comes back to your question. It's not like you say, well, gosh, I think I like chairs. You know, I'm a furniture designer, and I think I'd like to be a chair. It's, 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 not, it's not like that. But that within the heart, something awakens. Something awakens. And you start having a natural feeling towards Krishna. And then the sadhana you practice at that point is that you meditate on and you follow a devotee in Krishna's lila who has a similar mood to your own. So doing this is part of the five components of rasa. So oftentimes we talk about rasa just as, am I Krishna's servant, am I Krishna's parent, am I Krishna's friend, am I Krishna's beloved? But that is really one of the components of rasa. In order to get rasa, and Prabhupada explains this very nicely, I believe it's in chapter 20, might be 21, but I think it's 20 or 21 of the Nectar Devotion, that one of the components of rasa is what Prabhupada calls continuous ecstasy, the sense for the staibhav, your, your fixed rasa. And this is, you know, Krishna is my friend, I'm a cowboy boy. Krishna is my master, I'm a cow. Or Krishna is my master, I get his ankle bells in the morning. So there's that staibhav, but that's not all. That's, that doesn't create rasa, just having that staibhav. There's also voluntarily voluntary actions, demonstrating love called anubhav, there's involuntary actions called sattvakabhav, there's transient flowing emotions, bhav, and there's also what we call vibhav. So vibhav is what awakens these feelings in us. And for a material example, you know, if you see a little child, and most people, if they see a little child, they naturally feel protective, generally. Uh, there's some research that shows that when adults see a little child, their voice goes higher. As soon as we start, oh, how are you doing? You know, both men and women, they'll start talking in a higher voice. They'll change their, their posture. You know, we, we have both uh, automatic, unconscious reactions to a child, and we have intentional reactions to a child. So the child acts as a stimulus for parental caring feelings, right? Or we all have experience, you see a member of the opposite sex that's attractive, and there's just spontaneous feelings that come. You don't, you don't sit there and plan, well, that's an attractive man, I think I'm going to feel attracted. You know, it's not like that. But there, there's spontaneous. So there's, there's feelings, then there's 
unconscious, unplanned actions. You know, there's also analysis of when men and women are attracted to each other, how they look and how they stand, what they do with their eyes. They don't even know they're doing it, right? And then there's also purposeful behaviors. Oh, hello. Right? So there's, or the same thing with friends. So there's, these are V-bobs. These are things that stimulate certain relationships. There are, there are certain things that stimulate our relationships of friendship, of parental, of romantic, of service. Uh, I was in one temple in Bloemfontein, South Africa, where a couple runs the temple. The woman cooks all day, every day. They run a little restaurant out of their temple. She's always cooking, and she's always happy. She's just like, <gasps> and And after a couple days there, I got this desire to serve her. I just said, can I do something for you? Can I help you? So her behavior and her attitude acted as a stimulus, acted as a vibhav for my feelings of being a servant. Is that clear? Okay, so this vibhav is divided into two main categories. One category is the alumbana. The alumbana is the, the basis of our feelings toward Krishna. And the alumbana has two parts. One is Krishna himself. It's Krishna who makes one feel parental or friendly or romantic. And then it's also Krishna's devotees. Because Krishna's devotees embody that mood. So in the, in the higher stages of sadhana, one becomes attracted to Krishna and to the mood of Krishna's devotees. One becomes really attracted to the mood of the cowherd boys or becomes attracted to the mood of Madhya Soda and Nandamarsh. And Prabhupada says in the Bhagavatam, the last chapter she translated, that those in the parental mood, they meditate on Madhya Soda churning butter and, and singing for Krishna. And so this is the essential practice of the higher stages of bhakti is that one starts to, and of course one's feelings have to naturally awaken first, that one meditates on Krishna in that mood and one meditates on a devotee in that mood. And the meditation on the devotee is, is what propels one to the higher levels of bhakti. Now the other part of vibhav, so one part of vibhav is alambana, which is the whole shelter of one's continuous ecstasy. The other part of vibhav is called udipan. Udipan is, is a little stimulus. So there's Krishna in general, who's the shelter of our feelings, but then what may stimulate our feelings are Krishna's flute, or Krishna's smile, or one of Krishna's pastimes. And included in Udipans are also Krishna's devotees, in a different sense, though, that Krishna's devotees may, oh, yeah, I really like Krishna. So that's true to some extent, uh, even in the beginning stages of bhakti, in a general way that our association with the devotees stimulates our attraction, our attraction for Krishna and the devotees are the reservoir of that attraction and as we advance, that becomes the main key to our advancement. So then how do we associate with devotees? Of course we have the six exchanges which have to do with food, gifts, and confidences and each one of them has a give and a take. With each one of them I give and I take. So with each one of these, uh, the key is that one should do what's really going to be service for the other. <coughs> so we'll look first at giving. If I give food, I should give food that the other person likes. 
I should find out what they like. What do they like to eat? How much do they like to eat? Okay. When we give gifts, we should give gifts that the other person likes. To give food and gifts that the other person likes means we have to get to know the other person. So this is our very personal philosophy. Sometimes we think that when we advance in Christian consciousness, we'll all like the same thing. But that's not a fact. We're individuals. Though there's descriptions of the liberated souls in the spiritual world. They like different colors, they like different foods. But it's explained that Mahaprabhu, when he's serving prasada, he serves everybody the preparations they especially like. Isn't that what it means to be a person? What it means to be a person is you have likes and dislikes. Otherwise, what does it mean? Certain things that you really enjoy and other things you don't enjoy so much. I remember at a festival once, I was, I was taking prasadam and I said to one devotee, this is wonderful prasadam. She said, all prasadam is wonderful prasadam. <laughs> or with gifts. You're not going to believe this. I just It's true. I'm sorry. It's a true story, but you just need something that's going to believe me. So I was in, in, in one country very recently when after one of my lectures, someone comes and says, I have a gift for you. Oh, what is that? Oh, this is a DVD of my spiritual master, who's not a spiritual master at Iskand. Very nice person. And okay, I said, well, thank you, but I don't have an optical drive in my computer. So I have no way of watching a DVD. Oh, please take it. I said, but what will I do with it? Just like look at the DVD, you know, just like <laughs> stare at the case? I said, I have no way to play it. Oh, please take it. I really, she said, I, re I really want you to have it. I really want you to have it. Okay, so she's giving me this gift, not for me, but for herself. So I couldn't watch it, and I knew I couldn't give it to any other devotee in the temple, so I had to throw it away. So what you're not going to believe is, what I just told you, I used as an example in another temple about a week later. The next day, after my class, somebody came up to me with a DVD of a Mayavadi guru and said, I think you'd really like to watch this. And I said, I don't have an optical character. <laughs> you know, I don't have an optical drive in my computer. I have no way to watch it. And he said, well, you can watch it when you go home. I said, I won't be home until September or October. <laughs> maybe Krishna wanted you to see the DVD. That's why it's... How would he want me to see it, you know? There was no way for me to see it. And again, this was a Mayavadi guru. I wasn't going to give it again to somebody else. Sometimes I get gifts I can give to somebody else. So again, I had to throw it away. And I couldn't believe that after using this as an example in the class, that the next day somebody came and did the same thing. So it's, giving gifts means we think about what we're going to give. I had an experience about a year ago where someone gave me a big glass bottle of olive oil. It's like, okay, <laughs> you have to take this on the plane, right? <laughs> Put a big glass bottle of olive oil in my suitcase and take it on the plane. I said, I really don't have a kitchen in my suitcase. So when we give, when we give gifts, when we give brusada, we should be giving it for the benefit of the other person. Not for our benefit. Not that I cooked this and therefore I want you to eat it. So that I'll feel good. You know? And by the way, the same is true with revealing our mind. That many times, I think, or maybe most of the time, when we reveal our mind, we're doing it for our benefit. Yeah? 
It's, that's no different than giving a gift to somebody for my benefit. It's really the same thing. Uh, the five austerities of speech, one of them is beneficial. So when we speak, we should be benefiting the person who's hearing. And if we're not benefiting the person who's hearing, we shouldn't speak. Now, we need to reveal our mind in confidence in such a way that not only can we get help when we need it, but that the other person feels enlivened by speaking to us. And I see that this seems to be a real challenge for most of us. So that's in giving. We want to give confidences, gifts, and prasadam that are going to be pleasing and beneficial for the other person, that are honoring the other person. Otherwise, my dear friends, it's not a loving exchange. It's a selfish thing. And um, what about receiving? So receiving, we have to remember that not everybody is going to give us things that are beneficial, and many times we just have to say thank you and, and try to receive gracefully. But always remember that we're receiving from a person. You know, there's a person who, who cooked the food. There's a person who's at the other end of the spoon that's serving us. You know, there's a person who took the time to get the gift. There, there's a person who's revealing their heart and really wants some, some help and encouragement from us. You know, many times what, what I see, and, and I've certainly been guilty of this, somebody reveals their heart and they say something that's really foolish. And there's a tendency to say, well, that's really foolish. <laughs> you know, that someone's opened up to us and they become vulnerable. And then instead of helping them and honoring them as a person, we simply smash them to smithereens. It's, it's, it's certainly been done to me. I mean, I was, this was, it was public. But this was, oh gosh, many years ago. This must be about 36 years ago. I was, I was pregnant with my daughter. And it was a, a big class. 250, 300 devotees. And this was uh, the early day after Prabhupada, right after Prabhupada left the planet. So I was really confused about this idea of having an eternal relationship with your guru because I was thinking, well, if I die now and I took birth in Iskhan, I wouldn't have Prabhupada as my guru, I'd have to have someone else as my guru. So what does it mean that you have an eternal relationship with your guru? I was really wondering, trying to figure this out. You know, we say, like Janme, Janme, Prabhupada say, right in the Guru Vandana. So the person giving the lecture was talking about this principle, so I raised my hand and I said, how is it that we have, you know, we serve our guru birth after birth? How is that possible? How does that work? And he just said, you just want to come back birth after birth because you just want sense gratification. <laughs> and I felt like I wanted to kind of fall into the floor, you know, to the lower planets. So we really have to be careful that when people open up to us, even if they do say something foolish, even if they do say something wrong, that we always treat them with respect. Um, there's one devotee, some of you may know in the UK, Ras Prabhu, and he's really good at doing this when he facilitates a group. He, he's, I was talking about devotees as a model. So he really, he really has modeled that for me. And we were, I was working in a group with him, and one of the members was a little, how shall we say, uh, difficult. And it was constantly bringing us off topic, and it was... It was Constantly bring us back to square one. You know, we get to square five, and, and this person will bring us back to square one. And he always dealt with this person respectfully. No matter what they said, we always, always dealt with them with respect. Never put them down. Never demean them. And I thought this is such a lovely thing when we're receiving confidences from others, and and it's something that I, I know I want to practice more in my interchanges with devotees. And of course, if we have unloving exchanges, uh, then we're miserable, and everybody's miserable. 
you know, if we, if we let Kali Yuga come into our society, we fight for the sake of fighting. Uh, not like our junior was told to fight for the sake of fighting, but a different kind of fighting. <laughs> Just fighting for kind of the, you know, virya ras and the anger ras. Uh, just fighting because it's Kali Yuga. Uh, then we're not really going to have an international society for Krishna consciousness. But if we have this loving exchanges with devotees, then people will want to join our society. So I see this gathering here as one way we can have on a very practical level. And perhaps this is the best way to have loving exchanges. It's kind of hard to get together and say, okay, everybody, let's all love each other. You know, oh, yeah, it doesn't work very well, though. Whereas what I found is if you really want to have loving exchanges with devotees, do service with them. Help them with their service. Connect, connect with service. Because that's also the spiritual world. Everyone is helping each other with service. All right. Uh, just to get to your question briefly, and then if we have any other questions, you were saying, you know, well, if we're sharing the spiritual world, can we shape shift and become something else if we don't like it? Uh, well, one answer to that question is that the demigods can shape shift. This is explained in the eighth canto when change your form. You know, like if I said, gosh, you know, I'm kind of tired of being an American lady. I think I'd like to be, you know, I'd like to be an eagle, you know, <laughs> like that. All right. So the demigods can do that when Bali Mars conquered the heavenly planets. And the demigods, they were told by Brahaspati, don't fight, you'll lose. Just get out of here. So it was kind of hard for them to just get out of there. So they all shape-shifted, they all changed their forms, and they became birds or frogs or whatever, and they just very quietly kind of left through the back door and went to other parts of the universe. Uh, so I'm sure if the demigods can change their forms, that liberated souls can change their forms. Uh, the, I think the main reason, though, that we ask this question, my, my guess as to why we ask this question, because I get asked this question many, 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 many times, is that the body we have now doesn't completely satisfy us. Is anybody here totally 100% satisfied with their body? Anybody just look in the mirror and go, perfect. <laughs> So, but the problem is that we ordered this body. You know, we, we don't like to deal with that fact, but, but that's the truth. That everything that's happening in our lives, every part of our, every aspect of our body, our family, our life story, we custom ordered that. We custom ordered it. And, you know, even in, in ordinary dealings, you custom order something and then you get it and you go, oh, why did I order that? Right? <laughs> so it's like that with our bodies, that we're, because of our karma, because of our desires, we are custom ordering a body and a life and then we get it and we don't like it. I mean, you, most of us like some things about our life. Some things about our life are just fantastic. Some things are horrible. And most things are somewhere in the middle. And, you know, we think, okay, well, if I were to craft another life, it would be like this and like this and like this. And then we get that life, and again we go, oh. It was, and that's true even if you get a demigod body. You know, it's true even if you get the body of Lord Brahma, Abrahma, Abrahma, So we tend to think the spiritual body is going to be like that. You know, that I'll have some desire to serve Krishna as a cow. 
And then when I actually am a cow, I'll go, oh, I should have been Gopi. I really messed up. Uh, because, but our material things, that's all superficial to us. It's not who we are. Whereas our spiritual desires to serve Krishna is who we are. It's our way of expressing love, and it's perfect. And each of us has a perfect way of expressing love for Krishna. This, our spiritual body is not imposed upon us. This material body is imposed upon us according to our own foolish desires. I mean, we are generating it. But still, it's a, we don't really know what we're doing. We really don't know what we're doing. We have these desires, and we don't really understand what the result of our desires is. And then when we get it, we, we, we're, we're disappointed. So we think the same thing will apply with the spiritual, that I'll have some desires, but I won't really understand the ramifications of my desires, and then I'll get them and I'll be disappointed. But our spiritual body is our eternal body. It's who we are, and it's who we really want to be. It's the ultimate manifestation of our choice and our desire and our free will. It's, right now, our choice and our desire and our free will is influenced by the modes of nature and by, and by our coverings of ignorance, and we don't really know what we're doing. We're, we're like, I don't know if you ever saw any of these things, but when I was a kid, there used to be game shows on television where you win, a, you win prizes, and the prizes are behind doors. There's door number one, door number one, and you don't know what's behind the doors. And after you play the game and you win, which door would you let us always, of course, a, a gorgeous lady with heart and clothes on, you know, by the doors. Would you like door number you know, And you don't know, and you just have to say, well, uh, I think I'll take door number two. Right? So our choices in this world are like that. We're, we're covered with ignorance. We don't really understand what we're choosing. We don't really understand the results of our behavior. But one's spiritual body is the result of full knowledge and full awareness and the deepest aspect of who we are. Now, having said that, there are living entities who are serving Lord Chaitanya as men in, in Chaitanya Lila, and they're dancing with Krishna as gopis in Krishna. And then there are, you know, people in Chaitanya Lila who are monkeys in Ram Lila, and they're coward boys in Krishna Lila. So you can have more than one form and you can have more than one relationship in different leelas. Prabhupada said the soul can also expand. We can't expand unlimitedly like Krishna in every atom, but we certainly can expand and we can expand in different capacities. So that certainly is there. So it's not necessarily that there's just one. But the Santa Sarasvati in the purport in Brahma Samhita, he said some Living entities are only in Gora Lila, some are only in Krishna Lila, some are in both Gora Lila and Krishna Lila. And some are going to be in Gora Krishna Lila and Ram Lila. So that depends. So we, we read about that some of the residents of Goloka have expansions in, in Dwarka, and they have an expansion in Bhakunta and, and, and so forth. So that's also there. So don't worry. Thank you. Just like, <laughs> don't worry. No, no, one, no one's going to come to you at some point. It's not like Krishna's going to come to you at some point and say, you are a chair. You go, no. <laughs> My brother was asking me, he said like, well, so the grass, each grass, piece, when you said it, I, I remembered my brother and I couldn't answer it. So like, each piece of grass is the soul. And he's like, I don't want to be a piece of grass forever. And I was like, well. But that, but that, but see, that, that's the thinking materially. 
So the living entities in the spiritual world that are grass are grass because they do want to be grass forever. That's why they're grass. They're like, I want to just be grass. That's how they feel. That's how that, that, that that's what they are because that's how they feel. That's what they want. Like I just want to be Krishna's grass. And he steps on me. It says Krishna steps on every blade of grass every day. It's not like you're grass here, you know, with the exhaust fumes going on you and some dog <laughs> does his business on you. And, you know, it's not like that. You know, when you're when you're grass in Goloka. Like Uddhava wants to be grass. That's a nice example. Uddhava is Uddhava and Dwarka, but he's also grass in Vrindavan. So Uddhava is eternally grass in Vrindavan. Now he's also Uddhava and Dwarka, but he is eternally grass in Vrindavan. Why? Krishna puts his foot on you. Wouldn't you like Krishna to put his feet on you? Wouldn't that be nice? Just like you're there. Oh. <laughs> just feed her on you. That'd be so cool. And I don't mean Krishna, you know, but all the gopis and the cows. And the cows get to eat you. And you know, Krishna also becomes the cows. Krishna expands as all the cows. So Krishna comes to the cow and eats you. But you don't really get eaten, you know, immediately you're there again. Wouldn't that be nice? It's a rasa. You ever, it's a rasa that you're having with Krishna. It's a particular taste of service. So, you know, some people want to say, okay, well, let's say the highest rasa is the gopis, and the highest gopis are running around these gopis, and the highest are running around these gopis is this mandri, so we should all be that. But that's not reality. It is not higher or lower in that kind of sense. The grass is completely in ecstasy. And it's a, it's a con- the grass is a conscious person that's so happy to be grass and has no desire to be anything other than grass. It's like, why would I want to be anything other than grass? I've got Krishna sitting on me, you know? And they're just, they're happy like that. Complete, so everyone's in a position of where they're in complete, total happiness. And that's... And there's an unlimited number of jivas, and each jiva has their position of total happiness. So it's, it's an awakening to what is my feeling of total happiness. I mean, I'm sure it's a little, it would be a little difficult, you know, if you're in the Hare Krishna movement and you, you awaken and you realize that you're, uh, you're grass. You know, it, 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 it might be a little difficult because everybody's talking about being a gopi, you know, and there you are. Relishing being grass. So, you might have a little hard time finding other people to talk to about your aspirations. <laughs> you might feel a little lonely for a while. <laughs> but I'm sure Krishna would be very gentle there for you. Sukadeva Goswami is a parrot. And there's one uh, devotee in Mahaprabhu's Leela who's Krishna's food. As devotees for Krishna's earrings, I mean, wouldn't that be nice to be just for Krishna's earrings? You say Krishna's earrings. Anything else? Yes, brother. If I understand you well, for the exception that Krishna is superior and that all the jivas are his eternal divided parts and parts, 
There's no hierarchy in spiritual world. Well, when you say there's no hierarchy in the spiritual world, you know, uh, there's a society. So the spiritual world is a society. And because there's a society, like one of Radharani's qualities is she's very respectful to elders. So, you know, there's, there's the concept that Nandamaraj is the king and Mother Yasoda is the queen and there's elders. But everybody is spiritually one also. It's a chinchubeda beda tattva. Prabhupada says Krishna loves Radharani and he loves the cows equally. So Krishna's embracing the cows and he's embracing Radharani. He loves everyone equally. So that's Goswami says that every counter boy thinks they're Krishna's favorite and they all are. You know, when I first read Krishna book, when I was in college, I thought all the, all the parts are already taken in the drama. <laughs> you know? But Krishna's amazing. Each coward boy is thinking, I'm Krishna's favorite. Each gopi thinks Krishna's only dancing with me. That's pretty amazing. There's three billion gopis. You know, at least. <laughs> And, and, and each gopi thinks that Krishna's just with me. Each queen thinks Krishna's just with me. And it says Krishna touches every flower every day, every blade of grass every day. And I'm sure each flower is thinking, I'm Krishna's favorite. And they actually feel like that. But each flower feels like, I, I'm so special. You know, we all want that. Like we talk about prophet adoration and distinction. We try to get this distinction in this world. In this world, we're looking to be distinct from others by being better than others, making some, being adored by others. You know, this adoration and distinction. I'm special and I'm being adored. Why do we want that? We want that because ultimately that's what we have, that we're each distinct, that we're each special to Krishna and that Krishna is adoring us, that Krishna is fascinated by us. The other day I was in a temple where a mother had a, a very a new baby and she was sitting in one of the classes looking at her baby and she was examining the baby's fingers. Just like fascinated, you know. Just looking at the baby's fingers. And I thought, I'm sure she's seen the baby's fingers quite a few times since the baby was born. But still she was fascinated. So Krishna's fascinated with us. We're his parts and parcels and he's fascinated. He's eternally fascinated with us. We're eternally fascinated with him. And each of us is very special and precious to him. And every, every living entity has their own particular relationship. So Nathana Goswami says in uh, 10, 14, I think 53, above that Krishna has unlimited qualities and there's one of his qualities that particularly attracts each jiva. And each, each of us has a particular service that no one else is offering. So we have our particular particular relationship with Krishna that's just our relationship. And that's that we love. That we love. So he's pretty amazing. Anything else? Yes, Brahma. I remember a nice example. Gopi Gita is a statement that Gopi prayed to Krishna. You uh you uh how to say nas od and this is uh, interesting because Gopi was not on the sea line, not, uh, 
Eat the coward boys. Oh, that's interesting. Why I I don't know. I have to go and look up the commentaries. I know the answer. You know the answer. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Well, tell us the answer. Answer is very connected with your uh, all lectures and is a statement because if Agasura eat coward boys, then when Agasura eat coward boys, then all Vrindavan was on the Jawaba. Yeah, it's Jawaba on the morning. Would be morning, would be grieving. Yes, very, very sad if uh, mothers uh, and fathers' boys was sad, and also Gopi would be sad. But it's strict connected uh, each other, and uh, that's why Gopi speak like this to Krishna. That oh, that is beautiful. That, that you are protected as by eating Agasura, you know. By, by defeating Agasura. Yes, that is beautiful. so strong connected with each other in spiritual Yes, way. that actually we're, we all, we are all connected. You know, in, in illusion, we don't feel connected with Krishna, we don't feel connected with each other, but in reality, we're all connected with each other. And that, of course, is the uh, evidence of the love among the devotees in the spiritual world, where Krishna does Kaviraj gives the example of the gopis, he said that the gopis feel a hundred times happier when Krishna's with Radharani than when Krishna's with them. And Radharani, he says, feels ten million times happier when Krishna's with the other gopis than when Krishna's with her. So you have both things operating at once. You have that each devotee is, is feeling, I'm Krishna's favorite, and Krishna's just with me. And also, each devotee is feeling, let everyone else have this happiness. There's no envy. You know, let, let, let Krishna be with everyone. And therefore, they're they're pushing. Well, Krishna, go be with, go walk on the other blades of grass too. Yeah, Krishna, go milk the other cows too. Krishna, go dance with the other gopis too. And, and, and to have, because whenever Krishna is relating with anyone, everyone is feeling that joy and that connection. It's not like you know if your if your father takes your brother out somewhere, you're just home alone. You know, it's not like that. But if your father takes you, because you're connected. So, and, and it says that the devotees feel hundred times more happiness when Krishna's with somebody else. So therefore, everybody is always trying to get Krishna to be with everybody else. Just imagine. Everybody is constantly trying to share Krishna with everyone. And Krishna, as Kaira says, when Krishna sees that attitude, he becomes very happy. Thank you. That was just lovely. Yes? Uh, I have one question about um, uh, the principle that this should always feel unqualified in the uh, service of Krishna, that we always feel like the, as beginners. So, uh, is this somehow connected with the, so to say, frustration when we hear such a topic and we see I don't have any feeling toward it, or if it is somehow. So, what does it mean that we should always feel unqualified? No, it's not a kind of frustration. Uh, the feeling of being unqualified is absolutely necessary to increase one's happiness. Our happiness is in inverse proportion to our feeling of qualification and deservedness. So a very simple example. I give this example all the time. So you've got 20 euros. Okay, some of you don't use euros. Florence, 
pounds, any other currency? Kuda. Huh? Kuda. 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 Kuda? Kuna. Kuna. Well, that's the Croatian, isn't it? Okay. You're not using euros yet. Okay, so you've got 20 kunas, fiorins, euros, pounds. Got 20 of your currency. And you go to the shop and you buy something and it's worth 20 of your currency. How do you feel? Okay. Okay, you got 20 whatever, euros, fiorins, kunas, pounds. You go to the shop, you buy something, you bring it back, and one of your friends says, oh, I could have gotten that for five kunas. There's a shop over here selling it for five. How do you feel? Yeah. Right? You go to the shop, you spend your 20 fiorins, you get something, and you find that it's worth 100 fiorins. How do you feel? Woo! Our feeling of happiness is an inverse proportion to our feelings of deservedness. When you think you deserve something, you get no happiness from it, or very little. To whatever extent we think we deserve something, we will not get happiness from it. Because then it's just supposed to be there. This is a big problem in families. The kids don't appreciate the parents because I deserve for my parents to take care of me. They're supposed to take care of me. You know, the man cuts the grass, oils the door, paints the shed, takes out the garbage, right? Tells his wife, okay, I cut the grass, I oiled the door, I painted the shed, I took out the garbage, and she said, yeah? So? You're supposed to do that. You're the husband. It doesn't, it doesn't give her any pleasure. She's thinking, yeah, okay, you did all that. What about paying the bills? So when someone does less than what we think we deserve, we get no happiness from it at all. If, someone, if we get just what we think we deserve, we get a little bit of happiness from it. If we get something that we think is far more than what we deserve, we get a lot of happiness from it. So to have happiness in a relationship, you have to feel you deserve nothing. It, it's really nice, um, Krishna Das Kaviraj, we were talking about this at the Libyana Temple the other day. You know, he has these two verses that we always focus on. I'm lower than the worm in the stool, anyone who says my name becomes sinful. And we read that and go, oh. But then in that section, he's got 17 other verses that say, I saw Lord Nityananda, and I got Lord Nityananda's mercy, and I got Upa and Raghunath's mercy, and I have the service of Madan Mohan. So he's basically saying, I didn't have any money. And I got the 80 billion euro grant. You know, if we go and say, well, we're devotees. I mean, all the governments of the world should give us money. Of course they should give us money. They should give us all their money. <laughs> we're using it for Krishna. Then you get the 80 billion euros, and you're like, so? <laughs> So what? Yeah, where's the rest? <laughs> I thought it was 100 billion euros. What are you only doing? Give me 80. Right? But if your mood is, I, I don't know how to serve Krishna. I'm useless. I can't do anything. Then when you get the 80 billion euros, you're like, wow, Krishna is so kind. If you think you deserve nothing, then you're grateful you have a human body. Then you're grateful you can breathe. I had someone come up to me the other day. My life is finished. I've lost everything. And I looked at her and I said, you're standing. You can walk. Do your hands work? Yeah. 
Do your eyes work? Yeah. Do your ears work? Yes. Do you have a place to live? Well, I live with my parents. I said, but do you have a place to live? Well, yeah. Do you have food? Yeah. I said, so what's wrong? I'm still not married. I said, okay, that's a problem. I mean, it's not that that's a small problem. It's a problem. But it's not that your whole life is finished. You feel me? So when we really, it, 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 two things. We, we, we see Krishna's gifts towards us, and we see that we deserve nothing. I'm a criminal. I've rebelled against Krishna. I envy Krishna. I hate Krishna. What do I deserve? Nothing. I deserve nothing. I deserve to stay in a state of suspended animation in Mahavishnu for eternity. What do I deserve? I don't deserve this whole illusory world where I can try to fulfill my senses and I can try to go back to God. I don't deserve that. I don't deserve apples and pears and oranges and bananas and mangoes and 40 kinds of apples and 40 kinds of mangoes and 40 kinds of bananas. I don't deserve that. So you see both the grace of God and the fact that we deserve nothing and when you put those two together, you're always happy. You have to see both. If you just see I deserve nothing, then you're just depressed. I deserve nothing. And if you just see the blessings of God, you're like, so what? Of course I should get the blessings of God. I mean, I myself am God's blessing to the whole world. <laughs> Why shouldn't I have the blessings of God? But if you see both, if you see that I, I deserve nothing. What do I deserve? Nothing. And yet Krishna's giving me so much. You always have, then you'll always be grateful, then you'll always be happy, and then guess what? Krishna will probably give you more. Which is what we usually do when people are grateful. Yes? of speech, but generally that's referred to. I would put that in the beneficial category. You know, if I wake you up at two in the morning to just talk about that I don't have enough socks, so that is a very beneficial. And so, truthful based on the Vedas, the content should be pleasing, the message should be pleasing, the language should be pleasing and poetic. You know, not like modern society where people use very harsh language. And it should be beneficial to you and to the other person. Frankly, if I open my heart in a way that doesn't benefit the other person, then I am being extremely selfish, am I not? Then what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to suck energy from that other person for my benefit. There are ways of revealing our problems that also benefit others. There are ways of asking for help with our problems that also benefit others. And if we really want to develop love for others, 
that we don't want to suck out their energy. What we want to do is do a soul to soul via the super soul. I want to reveal my problems in such a way that the other person will come closer to Krishna. Not just that I'll come closer to Krishna. And guess what? If I help the other person come closer to Krishna, guess what? I will also come closer to Krishna. When, when people come to you as a big sucking machine, you know, and, and I have a lot of people that come to me as, as thinking that, you know, they're going to be a sucking machine with me. Uh, you usually can't, you actually can't even help those people in general. Either, either you can't help them at all, or you can help them very little, and they often go right back to where they were before. So what I find, and this is one of my, um, how do you put it? I suppose it's become one of my hobbies. You know, when you're a traveling preacher, it's one of your hobbies, whether you want it to be or not. Especially because people figure they won't see you again. They won't see you again for a year, so they can tell you their worst problems. You know, people tell the traveling preachers the problems that they would not dare to tell anybody in their community. So you hear some pretty horrendous stuff. But what I found is that if, if people come to me with the idea that I'm going to give them some sort of shock to you, I'm going to, you know, they're going to suck out my energy and my, you know, <laughs> that, that I can't really help them. And in fact, they don't even want to be helped. They, they just want to get some pleasure from sucking. Do you understand what I'm saying? You know, and you'll, you'll give them advice, and then they come back to you a month later, and they're asking exactly the same question. And they come back to you two years later, and they're asking the same question. And it's like, okay, these people are just trying to get some pleasure out of this. And they're, they're not really trying to get closer to Krishna. They're not trying to help me get closer to Krishna. So it's something to be quite aware of. Just like we're not supposed to go to Krishna. Just Krishna, give me this. Krishna, give me that. We're supposed to go to Krishna to serve Krishna. And even when we reveal our minds, we're supposed to reveal our minds in a way that will give Krishna pleasure. So it's a tall order. You know, I don't think we can do that. Everybody can do that all the time immediately. But at least to start being conscious of it. To be conscious that everything, everything I do should be to serve others. To serve, to please Krishna and to serve others. I shouldn't be using others for my sense gratification in the name of Krishna consciousness or not. Just because I, I, I sprinkle a little Krishna consciousness over it doesn't give, all of a sudden give me the right to use others for my own enjoyment. I'm sorry to be kind of crude about it, but it's... Doing that kind of thing really hinders us from, from advancing. Did you have a question? This um, feeling uh, undeservedness, and uh, this is like this is actually from false ego, right? Because if I'm like uh, if I'm puffed up because of my false ego, then I think I deserve everything. Right? Exactly. Exactly. See, we're so afraid that if I think I don't deserve anything, then I won't get anything. People will step on me. First of all, no matter how proud you are, people are going to step on you. <laughs> you know? Having a big ego is not protection, is it? No, it doesn't work. The, when you have a big ego and people step on you, you get really mad. If, you, if you're just humble and people step on you, well, so people are stepping on you. And people will not step on you more if you're humble. Rake Krishna, Marake, Marake Krishna, Rake Krishna. No one's going to step on you unless Krishna lets them. 
So you don't have to worry that if I'm humble, I'll suffer more. What happens if you're humble is everything becomes wonderful. You just you see all the blessings in your life is wonderful. If if you're not humble, you don't even see the blessings. You don't even you're not even aware of the blessings in your life. Yes. I have an example because in Shikshashlaka is that we should be humble by grass, and as Rita explaining how why like much more than grass. This is as as funny is because when you step by grass, the grass have a little move up, up, right? Much more that means that when someone steps by you, that you even, but you know something like that. You don't defend your ego. Yes, yes. You know you don't defend your ego. It's not that we let people kick us around. It's not that I have to stand there while people punch me. You know, if someone's punching you, you can, you can punch them back even, and you can walk away. It's not like you have to stand there and let people punch you. But you don't defend your ego. You can defend your body, that's fine. It's Krishna's body. You can defend your body. You can, you know, protect your mind, which protect your spiritual life. But there's no reason to protect our false ego. That's what we're trying to get rid of. So if somebody knocks a piece off my false ego, I should thank them. That's what I can get rid of, yes? So someone goes, you complete foolish idiot. And like, wow, thank you so much. <laughs> you just helped me out. So like, is it the he says that. He says, you know, the person who criticizes me is my friend. The person who flatters me is my enemy. Now, even if I'm not foolish for what they said I was foolish for, I'm foolish for something else. So it's no harm. You know. I remember in one time, Yatra is a Trivikram Maharaj, is a, a person uh, special because he's very like uh, soldiers. And he, yes, and he likes make uh, smashing ego. And I have a system. <laughs> and when Maharaj wants to smash my ego, I sound happy, smiling with love. That is, oh, okay, I, I cannot do <laughs> such a guy. But it's got to be, you know, I'm such a fool and Krishna still loves me. (laughs) Not just, I'm a fool. I'm a fool and Krishna loves me. And Krishna wants me. You know, look how wonderful that is. Did you have something? And then after this, I think we need to stop. Yes? Definitely. You see, this 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 question again it comes up because we have a concept of time. So our concept of time is a choice that you know at five o'clock I didn't make the choice, and at five fifteen I've made the choice. That there's a time at which I've made the choice. Now, if that's true, then it have to be a time before you made the choice. Then what were you? Think about this for a minute. So if you're going to say, okay, I've, I've chosen to be a counter boy, then what were you before you chose to be a counter boy? Nothing? No, no, no. We're eternal beings. We have an eternal identity. So that's our choice, but it's, it's not in time. 
It's something we're choosing constantly, actually. Now, there, there are some Vaishnavas. There are some Vaishnavas. Uh, most of them are not members of ISKCON, although I'm sure some are. But there are Vaishnavas who say that we don't have an eternal identity in Krishna service. I feel it's like this absurd, but I feel in my heart that we can change all the time, that we are not... Well, as I already said, the demigods can change their form, certainly the liberated souls can change their form. As I already said, liberated souls can have more than one form and more than one lila. Uh, but Prabhupada was very clear. He said, why would the son want to become the mother? We are what we are. So if, if we don't have an eternal identity, then that must mean that we're nothing. First. Or we are everything. No, then we're not God. But we are part of no, we're not God. No, we're not God. We're not everything. No, we're not God. No, we're not God. We're not God. We're not everything. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying Krishna is now in us, is here. Anyway, don't worry, it's your choice. It's not forced on us, and it's your choice. You don't have to be in anxiety, it's your choice. But if you, if you talk about making a choice in time that didn't exist before, then what you are philosophically positing is that before making that choice, you had no particular identity. So there are Vaishnavas who propound this philosophy. Now I had a discussion with one of these Vaishnavas who started saying then that, you know, I said, so what's our individuality? Because what does it mean to be an individual? What does that mean? What does it mean to have a personality? What, what does that mean if you're an individual with a personality? So I said, if we don't have an eternal rasa with Krishna, then what, what, what were we? And he said, well, we were just distinct spatially. That we're just all exactly the same, but we're distinct spatially. But there is no material space in the spiritual. There's no material space in time. Can we be like spiritual and not go? They just get into any shape? Then how are you an individual with a personality? Because we each we have like our own energy, which is like that's what he was suggesting. But are you like liberated soul now? So maybe you also don't know everything. I know very little. I know very little. I personally trust the way Prabhupada explained things. There are people who don't trust the way Prabhupada explained things, and they explain things in a different way. Could both be right? Yes, both could be right. Because the residents of Vaikuntha, they think Vishnu is supreme, for example, and they have liberated souls. Mother Yasoda thinks Krishna is just a little boy. So is it possible that there's more than one opinion on this and that the various opinions are all right? Yes, that's possible. I actually believe what Prabhupada said. It's real to me. And I'm not going to discuss my particular level of, or lack of realization. That's not appropriate. But I, 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 have to, I happen to believe Srila Prabhupada. 
I don't just believe Prabhupada because it makes intellectual sense. I really believe Shiva Prabhupada. And then over and above that as his disciple, I feel that it's my duty to present things the way Prabhupada taught them. And I think if I want to present things in a different way, then I have to not be in this organization. So from a, from a loyalty perspective, if I want to present that we don't have an eternal relationship with Krishna, I have no business preaching in this country. And I happen to personally believe it. And I believe it based on the Shastra, I believe it based on logic, and I believe it based on 41 years of chanting Hare Krishna. And I see that people who say that we don't have an eternal rasa, they end up going to something that sounds to me something impersonal. Because then you have to be, yeah, just like dough. You know, you, you just, you're just, a, how are you a distinct entity? Yeah, yeah. Then why we should have there one one body? You know, maybe I already told you we don't have to have just one body. I already said that. You could change, change, change. I already said that. But you're not going if you're not going to even if you're because of yourself. You're going because of Krishna. It's not about you. It's about Krishna. But also, we, you, also, I, as I already explained, there is there are jivas who have one form with Lord Chaitanya. As a, as a male in Dasyuras, and then they have another form with Krishna as a female in Madhuryuras. How do you explain that? The same jiva has more than one form. So they can change, change shapes. And you can exist in both forms simultaneously. So, you know, almost all the associates of Lord Chaitanya are also associates of Krishna. Not all. Bhakti Sanatra says some jivas only want to be associates of Lord Chaitanya. Some only want to be associates of Krishna, some want to be associates of both. But they're both existing eternally. It's not that you're switching off. You're in both leelas simultaneously. Some are also in Ramachandra's leela. So there are jivas who have one form in Ram leela and another form in Chaitanya leela and another form in Krishna leela, all simultaneously. I gave the example of Uddhava, who's grass and Vrindavan, and who's Uddhava and Dwarka. Those are two very different forms, and they exist there simultaneously. So yes, that is a fact. But it's not that coward boys decide, oh, I'm tired of being a coward boy, now I want to be a gopi. It's not like that. Even if one has many, many different forms, one has those many, many different forms eternally. And that's according to one's particular desire. And it's according to one's particular choice. And yeah, that people can change their forms. I mean, just like, as I said, if the demigods can change their forms, why not so the, the liberated souls, they can't do what the demigods can do? The liberated soul has all the powers and all the abilities of anyone in the material world. It's not that the demigods have some powers that aren't there for liberated souls. And that's just Indra. That's not even, you know, up in the higher planets. So that's certainly the case. Yes? Change would happen, it would happen in accordance to the wish of Krishna, but not in accordance to our wish. Well, it's I a, want now to change. Well, no, it's a dance. Yeah. Krishna is not imposing his wish on the jiva. That's not that's not love. It's it's a dance. The jiva has a wish to serve Krishna in a way that will please Krishna. But there's unlimited ways of, of pleasing Krishna. 
So it's not it's not an order. It's not like Krishna says, okay, you 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 know, this is what I want. Like, well, I don't want to do it, but I'll do it to please you. Yeah, it's not like that. The, the jiva has a natural desire of a way to please Krishna. And it's it's a dance between the desire of, of Krishna and the desire of the jiva. Krishna wants what does Lord Kapiladev say? He said, the Lord appears in whatever form the devotee worships him. So Krishna appears a little differently to each devotee. It's, it's a, you know, our philosophy is extremely personal. It's extremely individual, and it's extremely personal. Krishna is fulfilling even our material desires. And Prabhupada says over and over and over again, you cannot kill desires. Desires is a symptom of the soul. That what, what spiritually is our spiritual desires awaken, and our spiritual desires is, I would like to serve Krishna as a flower. I would like to serve Krishna as a gopi. I would like to serve Krishna as, a, as a, an earring. Those are our, our spiritual desires that manifest. And Krishna reciprocates with those desires. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a loving exchange. It's not, we're not a machine. It's not like I just, I want my machine to do something and, I, and it's, it's like that. It's, it's just like these kind of partnerships we're establishing here. You know, that we're talking about we're going to have a partnership and okay, well, well, we're doing this service in Vrindavan. Oh, oh, we're doing this service in London. Oh, well, can we work together? Well, well, can we get this over here? And, and, and can we get, oh, and then I'll, I'll make some adjustment. For you. It's a partnership. It's, it's, it's a relationship between Krishna, who's a person, and me, who's a person. So I'm not a machine. Krishna doesn't want relationships with machines. We say Krishna doesn't enjoy the material energy. Krishna doesn't get pleasure out of machines. Krishna gets pleasure out of a relationship. That's why even his tables, his glasses of water, his everything is a person. Krishna wants a relationship with someone who can say no. He wants a relationship with someone who has their own desires, who has their own individuality, who has their own... He, he wants to be fascinated by us eternally. The unfolding of our personality and the unfolding of our desires and the variety of our desires as we are fascinated with him. So of course, everything the devotee does is to please Krishna, but everything Krishna does is to please the devotee. It's, it's, not, it's not an exploitive relationship. In this world, if you're trying to please somebody, you know, it may be an exploitive relationship where they're using you for their own pleasure. But Krishna's trying to please the devotee. Yes? But then I don't really don't understand why, like, Arjuna also has free will, because he has to fight. Krishna says you have to. Mm. So why, why is Arjuna getting a very specific order? Yeah. So sometimes Krishna may give you a specific order. So then sometimes the devotees give Krishna specific orders too. Even Arjuna gave Krishna. He said, Sanayorubhaya Ramachai. Hey, go take my chariot there in the midst of the army. And Krishna is called infallible because he always carries out the orders of his devotee. You know, if, if, you, have, if you have a friend, do you ever say to your friend, hey, would you give me a glass of water? Do you talk like that to your friends? No, you don't say, get me a glass of water, you worm slave. But you ask your friend. <laughs> Some do, huh? Well, they're not going to be my friends. But, you know, you can ask your friend for a glass of water. 
okay, but he didn't want to fight. He didn't want to kill so many people. And Krishna said, you have, you have to. No, Krishna did not say you have to. He said, now I've explained everything to you. Now you deliberate on this fully and do what you wish to do. He certainly did not say you have to. Okay. Certainly did not. <laughs> he said, you do what you want to do. He said, these will be the consequences. He said, if you fight, this will happen. And if you don't fight, this will happen. But you have to do what you want to do. And, and like when Rukmini fainted and Krishna revived her, and then he said, he said, I didn't want you to do that. He said, I wanted you to argue with me. I didn't want you to faint. He said, but you have purchased me forever by your love for me. And then she's like, oh, you wanted me to argue? Okay, I'll argue. <laughs> But Krishna was also pleased by her fainting or with Agasura. Krishna didn't want the boys to go into Agasura. He's like, don't go into Agasura, you're going to get swallowed. They're like, yeah, but this way Krishna gets to be a hero and save us. So Krishna was also pleased with that. So yeah, sometimes Krishna orders a devotee, and sometimes a devotee orders Krishna. Sometimes Radharani says to Krishna, hey, would you fix my hair like this and put the flowers over there? She does. And Mother Yasoda, she says, you sit down right now and you eat your food. She said, you come back from playing with the boys. And he goes back and she says, you come right now. Your father's not going to eat unless you come. You come. And the boys say, Krishna, if you come, if you go to Mother Yasoda, we're not going to play with you anymore. You stay right here. She says, they're not Krishna. They're Krishna. But it's loving. They're not ordering Krishna like some, you know, Hitler or Pharaoh or something. You know, it's not like that. It's, it's love. It's love. And, and sometimes the devotees say no, too, especially in Goloka Vrindavan, maybe not in Vaikuntha, but in Goloka. They sometimes say no. Krishna says, come on, Radharani. She's like, no. <laughs> she says, I'm not having anything to do with you. <laughs> you know? And she leaves. Yes? Right? Yes? Uh, a question on her question. Like, a question on her question. Like, in the same way that, like, Arjuna is like not wanting to fight and Radharani is not wanting to see Krishna, they're actually only playing it, isn't it? Because Arjuna is only playing, not wanting it. Okay, well, look, everything everyone does is to please each other. Okay? Krishna's always trying to please the devotee, the devotee's always trying to please Krishna, the devotees are always trying to please the other devotee. Everyone is always trying to please each other, and everything that happens among liberated souls is pleasant. Everything is fun. That doesn't mean there's no real desires. That doesn't mean there's no real personality. Okay? It's all play, it's all loving, it's all caring, it's all trying to please each other. And, there's, and that's within the context of personality. Thank you very much. This went like way later. Ah! Thank you very much. Hare Krishna.